Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> you don't understand, people. Like, right before the show, we have this 30-second countdown so you can get dead air and do mixy things later so that things sound good or at least better than we normally do. And he's over there fucking pantomiming. Look at what's happening to my pants. I don't know what's happening to your pants. Did you pee yourself? Did you spill something? Is it really a straight boner? I don't think this is appropriate to talk about right now. We're about to start the show. I have the best time <laughs> starting off the show right. Are you hungry? Are you faint? Should I call someone? No, do you need amphetamines? I do. But <laughs> it's, uh, I learned from last week's show, I have beers open and ready. So we're going to be fine, at least on that front. <laughs> That's what I'm excited about. As it's long like, as you're not just you know over there just flailing about. In a way that suggests that maybe you have spilled all of the beer on your crotch. It is a very directed flailing, and uh, <laughs> the pantomime was, uh, oh, look, I peed. <laughs> this is why we don't play charades with people. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is what, is this episode 144? Is that what we decided it was? Yeah, you can just sit in your filth over there amongst all the electrical cords. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, there's only a whole lot of voltage over here. It'll be just fine <laughs> on a concrete floor, so there's no place for it to flow. Nope. Just zap around my body like, uh, I don't know, who's a good electrical hero? Bolt? Sure. Sure, why not? Bolt. But when the cat has an accident on the linoleum, he's an asshole. Yeah, well, <laughs> he is not going to use his thumbs to go get a paper towel, whereas <laughs> you will point at me and shriek until I do so. So it's... Uh, <laughs> He's not holding Paper up his towel. weight, is what I'm saying. Fucking hose. Get a hose. Oh, sure. Yeah, hose me down next to the electricity. Why don't you use a gun, for Christ's sake? I'm not sake? saying I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, you've hired the job out. I see how it is. I need assistance. I need exfiltration immediately. You're saying clean yourself up and get some Febreze. <laughs> Febreze your crotch, for God's sake. Oh, what the hell? I don't got that long a lifespan anyway. <laughs> All right, we're, we're off to a bang. This is going to go swimmingly, I can tell. Well, it's, it, was, it was a hell of a weekend <laughs> with far more booze than either of us really anticipated, so there's a certain amount of fatigue hysteria already built into it. There's and, always uh, fatigue hysteria. Well, that's true. And this time, uh, ooh, Left Hand Brewing Company, Milk Stout. Yes. Maybe they'll sponsor me. <laughs> Maybe. They ain't got <laughs> shit from the fine folks at the Berkshire Brewing Company, so... Plus, is what was left in the fridge. I didn't have time to look at the store today. Mmm, <laughs> milky and stouty. All right. All right, you want to just dive into it? Let's. There's much. The, no, no, one, I was, I was going to say no more niceties. When you start with, Jesus, Rob, have you pissed yourself? Niceties <laughs> are out the fucking window. It's, all right, let's just knuckle down and do the fucking show. Okay. We are, after all. I was going to say professionals, but that's clearly not the case. I didn't keep a straight face while you said that. <laughs> all right. So I do want to start out with uh, Emerald City Comic Con was this weekend. It was. Uh, we did not go. No. <laughs> Someday we'll get to it. Someday we'll be able to screw together enough vacation time because that is one that's on my list. It's yeah. supposed to be an excellent convention. And I've never been to Seattle. That's in Seattle, right? Yes. You would think I'd know off the top of my head, but Oz? Is it in Oz? <laughs> that's the Emerald City, right? Uh, 
also the Emerald City, yes. They named a mall near my house Emerald City once when I was a kid. Is it at the mall? No, there was one at the Hanover Mall here outside of Boston, though. Yeah, down by the Cape. Down by uh, the Cape. We we considered going to. Nicholas Brendan was going to appear. They were opening an envelope. (laughs) They were offering hot food. Oh, we don't know that. I don't know. What his, I don't know what his rider looks like for for a twenty dollar admission fee for for Nicholas Brendan. I hope they'd at least chuck him a cheeseburger. So you know, the Hanover Mall had Nicholas Brendan, and Emerald City did not. I'm sure they're heartbroken. <laughs> I'm sure they just can't get through the day. Every day gets us a little further past Buffy season seven. They also had Adam West and Burt Ward. What fucking? No, just there. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were doing. It's not like we paid to go see. They're going to be at Boston Comic Con, too. It was, I'm sure Fucking? it was a... <laughs> I walked into that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure it was a much better deal to, <laughs> to see them at the Hanover Mall <laughs> somewhere outside the Cape. Yes. You know, that fine winter destination, Cape Cod. Just uh, slightly southwest west of Situate and other fine properties. Yes. <laughs> you know. When it's eight degrees outside. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful scenic Route 3. Yes. So we did not go to whatever comic convention that was. No. Uh, we did not go Nor to Nor did we go to Emerald, Emerald City. City either. <laughs> but the best comic... <laughs> the best comics-related news uh, that I've been waiting for for 18 years uh, came out of Emerald City, and I didn't get a drum roll track. <laughs> <laughs> you should fire your producer. <laughs> My producer's a drunk. He's just shit-faced on left-hand milk stout. All right, no drum roll. We'll go with this. My name is Hiro Nakamura. I'm from the future, and I have a message for you. The third part of Mage, Mage the Hero Denied by Matt Wagner, is finally fucking coming out. Thank you. That's the only applause one I have. I I really am much more excited. When I saw the news uh, uh, on one of the comics news websites, uh, Amanda, you sincerely thought I was having a seizure because I was just sort of pointing at the screen going... Yeah, it was like weird whistle tones that only Parker could hear. He was very upset. He was yeah, flailing about again. I thought he'd <laughs> spilled something else on his crotch. I don't. I can't seem to string together two days without just pouring something on my dick. Yeah, <laughs> you should see somebody about that. Uh, <laughs> I did, but they wouldn't pay me. <laughs> so yes, it's a third part. It's going to be as the other ones. Uh, well, t- technically 15 issues. There's going to be a zero issue out just in time for San Diego Comic-Con in July. All right, let's, let's, let's back this up for the folks at home that may not have been around when Mage the Hero Discovered first dropped. You fucking millennial bastard. Oh, no, wait, no, <laughs> please keep listening, for God's sake. <laughs> that was published on, like, what, Comico or something? Uh, yeah, I think that was Comico, um, and it's, I didn't find it until after it had already been collected. So I've got the original, uh, what is it, Star Storm, or it, it's some defunct imprint that I mm. haven't seen in years. But they did big, oversized, glossy reprints of the original series. That's how I got into it. You had a few of the original issues. And I always forget if Mage was a backup in Grendel or vice versa for a while remember. in the uh, the mid-'80s. It's a, they, they carried each other along yes. for this long-dead comic company. They were, they were both Matt Wagner properties. Yeah. So, so what is for the people at home? What is the premise of Mage? Uh, it's a it's and, and also addendum. Why is it so important to you? <laughs> what are you interviewing me? <laughs> That's no comment. Talk to my people because you you were like ridiculously 
excited about this. Well, it's in fact on our website you said you had the straightest boner right now, <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> so I keep pouring shit on it. It's like go away. It won't stop. I, it's been longer than eight hours. I should call a doctor. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go there. You had to go. I went there. there. I went there. But it's it was a book that when I first went away to college at the Walden Books at the local mall. You know, I went to college. I didn't know anybody. I was you know, miserable, so I'd walk down to the bookstore a lot. And I, also, I was in college. I didn't have any money. So it was this one book, and I read it like two or three times in the damn bookstore because they didn't throw me out. I was a big guy and uh, was looking morose. So <laughs> what the hell? And uh, but finally, it was. I read it enough. I'm like, you know, I can spare the twelve bucks. Yeah, which is like ninety four thousand euros in modern dollars, <laughs> you know, compared to nineteen ninety. Um, so I, I I threw it down and picked it up, but I didn't know where to get the other two. So it was something where it was literally another case of I've talked <laughs> talked about various times in my life on the show before. Me and my buddy Trebuchet go to New England Comics in Brockton, not for heroin. The only <laughs> people in Brockton not for heroin. Uh, and they were having a two-for-one trade paperback graphic novel sale, and they had the other two. So in one shot for 12 more dollars, I got the whole series. And yeah, it was really early urban fantasy. You know, stuff like the Dresden Files, mm-hmm. that kind of shit wasn't around, but this was, yeah, it's a retelling of the King Arthur myth with this cynical prick, Kevin Matchstick, who d- doesn't want any part of anything getting caught up in this heroic saga. And he really he finds out he has superpowers. He doesn't really believe it. Uh, he doesn't really care. He wants no part of this, but getting caught up in this heroic situation. And yeah, went on through Mage the Hero Discovered. Uh, and so yeah, this is like 1990. I read the whole thing. And even then they were saying it's gonna be three parts, the hero defined and the hero denied. Well, I had to wait another seven, eight years, I think. Uh, before The Hero Defined came out, uh, and that was an Image Comics property because mm. Comico was long dead and it took a while to sort out the rights. So, yeah, that ended in 1998, I think. So it's like, great, just another few years. And 18 fucking years later <laughs> and a million Matt Wagner projects, most of them very good and not one of them I saw. It's like you're doing this instead of fucking Mage, you son of a bitch. <laughs> And you know he heard that at every convention he went to. Oh, I'm sure. It's I have uh, I met him at a couple of conventions, and the first convention I went to where I felt like I had a little scratch and could get something really kick ass. Uh, yeah, it's I got uh, Kevin Matchstick, the the protagonist of Mage. Yeah, uh, you know, with the baseball bat that's supposed to be Excalibur. It's a really great colored pencil on uh, colored construction paper piece. And yeah, the the poor guy, number one, I'm standing there in a mage (laughs) t-shirt. You were that guy. I was that guy. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Wagner, why are you so awesome? (laughs) I tried not to do that. I tried to be cooler than that. But it was also, he was just getting started on Zorro. So he had a ton of Zorro pieces and he's trying to get people excited about Zorro. And like, yeah, like a fucking stereotype. Whether I said, why are you so awesome or not? (laughs) I saw the Kevin Matchstick and my eyes goggled. I'm like, I need to have this one. (laughs) You know, like a dope. So it, it's and still. We're all like just going to try to be like smooth and just pay for it. Like, no, have him autograph it for you. Talk to the man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was that was early in going to conventions. It took a little while to sort of get used to. Oh no, they're here to interact with you and take your money. Yeah. But <laughs> take your money mostly, but they'll interact with you. <laughs> but as a, I, I don't think I've met an artist who was not genuinely excited to meet a fan. Bruce Tim was a little cranky, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's 18 years I'm waiting for this story to finish. 
which in its own way is a bummer because it feels sort of like, okay, here's the thing. I Now we're on bucket list territory, <laughs> and that can't be healthy. That can't be a good thing. So did you ever figure that you would see the final stage of Mage before Clerks 3? <laughs> uh, at this point, uh, given some of the... Uh, given most of the recent <laughs> Kevin Smith output. Uh, yeah, I'll take this every <laughs> single fucking time. Every time. So yeah, it's, um, I'm psyched it's coming out. Um, it's the the only... <laughs> it's the only new Mage material since 1997-98, with one exception, and almost nobody has this, and, and I've got it. I, I know what you're about to say. Yes. Uh, John Rogers, who was uh, a writer on Blue Beetle... Mm-hmm. Uh, right after Infinite Crisis with Keith Giffen and was a showrunner on Leverage and the original showrunner on The Magicians. The Librarians. The Librarians, sorry. The Magicians is that sci-fi yeah, it's on, that's on sci-fi. I haven't watched that. Yeah. But uh, The Librarians uh, was also the screenwriter for The Core. So yeah, he was... He brought, he's the man who brought us Unobtainium. Yes, before James Cameron. Yes. So <laughs> uh, he did a screenplay for a movie adaptation in 2000 which uh, was never produced. Uh, he actually talked about it recently on Twitter, uh, and he said that right around then, because, yeah, this is like mid-early 2000s, so it was before X-Men. People didn't think it, uh, that anybody would would go to a $60 million superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, clearly that's not the case. Um, and I believe on Twitter he said, this is why I drank. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have... Actually, did you got it for me? Well, we have uh, friends in common. It found its way to us. Yes, uh, I have a copy of the second draft of the screenplay that he did. Uh, it's dated May thirtieth, two thousand. It's the uh, writer's second draft, second revision. And before anybody asks, because I, I've looked online and have not been able to find it, it's not a digital copy. Uh, it's a hard copy that was given to us. Yes, back at the time under the terms that. We would never give a copy of it to anybody, so I'm not going to scan it. I'm yeah. not going to copy it. I'm not going to mail send you a copy through Just snail mail. Saying that we read it and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a look. John Rogers started as a Boston stand-up comedian. Uh, he was active before you or I started. Well, before you or I started. But we've got some friends in common. That's sort of how we got our hands on it. Yes. So, yeah, it's a really solid adaptation which I've not read in a while. I'm thinking, and we talked about this a little last night, I'm thinking when that first Zero issue comes out in July, I just want to do a whole Mage show. We can talk about the original one. That's and, fine. Yeah, talk about the screenplay a little. That'd be kind of cool. The, the one thing, the one geek thing that we have <laughs> that nobody else has. It's ours, damn it. <laughs> yes, I won't even quote it. I'm not going to jail for this. <laughs> I'm not getting sued for it. It's but, okay, but then you have to promise to, to drink scotch because that would only be right. Uh, John Rogers drinks scotch. Uh, Kevin I Matchstick, scotch. I believe, drinks bush on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was just I was psyched about that. It's if you were a comic fan in the the mid late eighties, this was just one of those books that was around, and for for whatever reason, it has never sort of hit the canon of eighties comics the mm. same way. You know, certainly a. Dark Knight Returns or a Watchman has or even something like Longbow Hunters, but it was really solid and really early urban fantasy. And it was just, it was cool. It was a hero who didn't want to be a hero. And literally as things would happen, he would throw a car and be like, I don't believe any of this shit is actually <laughs> real. So yeah, so that actually ought to be something that would blow the fuck up right now. 
Oh, you would think somebody else has since bought the rights. Somebody else is working on it. So that whole, I, oh Christ, yeah, because I, I read about it earlier this week uh, when I saw the news from uh, Emerald City, but mm. I can't, I can't remember who has it. But somebody has the rights, so it's yeah. it's gone in a whole different direction at this point. Okay, maybe you can find them for the show notes. Uh yeah, because I got all that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> or not. I'll see if I can Google it okay. sometime in the next 24 hours before the show goes up. So yeah, that was the big comics news that I was excited about. I'm, I'm glad for you. But so you and I had both read it. When we got together, oh, yeah. you had one or two of the mage books yep. anyway. Yep. I had the comic so, ones. Yeah. And, yeah I, and I still have two of the original. <laughs> not original, but the uh, hero-defined Kevin Matchstick t-shirts <laughs> that uh, I should really stop drinking this beer so I can fit in sometime before uh, San Diego. So, all right, comic book movies. <clears throat> Speaking of comic book movies. Apparently you're allergic. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> all right, so yeah, uh, Logan uh, was released this past weekend. We went to go see it. Yes, we did. Uh, yeah, it's uh, this was the one that uh, I said last week uh, in our Crises Award show. This was the movie I was most looking forward to for this year, and everybody looked at me like I was half a spastic and a moron. Well, Nobody fair, could believe it. To, to be fair, um, I am one of the few people who likes the other Wolverine movies, so really the franchise franchise only had up to go. That is true. You, know, you, uh, you have that soft spot for X-Men Origins Wolverine <laughs> because you were in a foreign country with exactly one piece of English-speaking <laughs> media on your Zune which I bought you and will stand by as a superior fucking music player to that same generation's iPod. It's the same reason that I, I like the Green Day album that came out around the same time. I'm like, this seems familiar. Yes. <laughs> 21 Guns? Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't... Uh, Actually, done... no, it wasn't. It was Amer- um, American Idiot. No, it wasn't American, it wasn't American Idiot. Idiot. It was uh, yeah, 21st Century 21st Breakdown. Cent- thank you. Yeah, American Idiot. Uh, God, that was... That was much earlier. That was, that was when I was on the radio. Yeah. So that was early 2000s. Early 2000s. Anyway, Green Day and uh, Wolverine Origins. And uh, I made mistakes. And Grappa. <laughs> I don't recommend that. It's not for everybody. Unless you don't really care about pants. <laughs> Although I'm down with any culture that's all about you can have your espresso and your grappa at the same time in the morning and nobody looks at you sideways. <laughs> uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that joke would get us letters. <laughs> I don't want letters. <laughs> So it was really fucking good. It really was. I mean, I was mostly looking forward to it before I'd heard a lot about it because I do have a soft spot for the Old Man Logan series. Okay. It's that's as far as I'm concerned that's about as good as Mark Millar gets. It's yeah. incredibly flawed and it's the same Mark Millar overblown. Uh, look, the that comic book ends with the Hulk erupt no with Wolverine erupting from the Hulk's stomach after being eaten. We're not dealing in subtlety here. No. It's it's very broad and but it's fun. Yes. And it's interesting in sort of a way of all right, here's a possible end for Wolverine. And then yeah, you started hearing more and more about it. And yeah, the, it's it's just a good movie. It's not a just a good superhero movie because it's really not a superhero movie. No, it's it's a story about characters who happen to have powers, but beyond that, yeah. And by the way, we're going to spoil this uh, just terribly. We're just going to tear it right apart. I mean, 
when we talk about legacy characters, and certainly Wolverine's been around in the comics for a very long time, but when when you think about modern day media that have brought us to where we are now with superheroes, both on in the movies and on TV, uh, you look at the first well, uh, first um, X Men movie that came out back was it two thousand? Yeah, it was two thousand. Yeah. I mean, sure, there were there was you know the Michael Keaton Batman and Christopher Reeve as as Superman, but really the property that made Hollywood think this could be viable. <laughs> yeah, well, those earlier movies were far more action movies about that happen to have superheroes in it. Yeah, if you look at that Michael Keaton Batman movie, uh, <laughs> he's got a car with machine guns. For, for for what everybody screamed about Batman versus Superman, who would go with his murder car. Well, Keaton was there first, kids. <laughs> Two big Gatlin guns That's that just true. pop out of the front and just machine gun stuff apart. Um, uh, yeah, he's got your standard love interest uh, that is there for no particular reason at all, except you're supposed to have a love interest in an action movie. He kills the fucking Joker at the end. They mangle the whole origin. To, all right, let's just be expedient because... Nobody thinks we're going to make another one of these. Fine. The Joker killed your mother. There you go. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, it, it's an action movie. It, at the time, it was like, oh, yay, Batman. But then in retrospect, flawed. Yeah. Flawed. <laughs> it's, look, the best thing about the 1989 Batman movie was that they didn't make a fucking campy Batman 66 yeah. version, which is what we all thought was going to happen. We've talked about the. We have a whole show about the Batman 1989 movie. <laughs> yeah, you can go back before we talk too much about it. But uh, yeah, everybody was convinced it would. Uh, the director of Pee Wee Herman uh, has Prince and Beetlejuice is Batman. The only good news out of it, the only reason we were hanging with it, was because of Jack Nicholson. Right. And even then, Jack played Jack. Yeah. It was inspired casting because that was Jack Nicholson in the eighties. <laughs> Yeah. His face was white because he fell in the Coke. <laughs> that was the only, <laughs> the only difference. Yeah. Or got into Angelica Houston's makeup. It kind of depended on the day. Okay. You went with makeup. <laughs> I was, I'm like, where are you going with this? Makeup. Okay. Makeup. And I stand by that. <laughs> where I was going with this originally is the, the X-Men movies have now been around as a franchise for 17 years. And they have varied wildly in their consistency and quality but if you were a comic fan unless you were the most deeply cynical and they were out there like just angry like no you can never make this properly fan and you know who you are you know you at home you know who you are uh, oh yeah it, it should have been glenn danzig as wolverine because <laughs> he's, he's too tall yeah, yeah. <laughs> um in any event <laughs> When the first X-Men movie hit and you went to go see it in the theater, generally you walked out of the theater going, oh my God, they made a movie for me, the comic book fan. Yeah, And it helped that everybody else seemed to like it too, so it made a bunch of money. But that was, you got the chills. Like, yeah, hey, they did it. <laughs> oh, totally. And it's uh, if you look back at that, it's, you know, compared to something like Avengers or Avengers 2 with we got 56 heroes and uh, my god even the the Supergirl Flash Arrow crossover with 15 superheroes on a roof it's really much smaller scale 
and certain things are in there sort of for the sake of expediency. You know, Tyler Maine, Sabretooth. Well, <laughs> we, we got to have a bad guy for Wolverine, so okay. Uh, we'll just chuck him in there with <laughs> no rhyme or reason. He looks right. He looks he right. He looks right, so yeah. we'll go with that. <laughs> he looks right, and apparently, I think he gave Halle Berry a concussion in that scene where he slams her up against a wall in the subway station, <laughs> from what I read. There are people who say she deserves it for that line, what happens to a toad when hit by lightning, but fuck you. I stand by that line. That line is not terrible. It's not that the line is terrible. It's just, Again, when you look back on it after you get away from the initial, oh my God, it was awesome. Then you're like, okay, here's what was awesome about it. Patrick Stewart, uh, Ian McKellen, and Hugh Jackman, specifically. And then then you you start to gloss over Holly Berry. You start to kind of gloss over Cyclops, as he should be. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Famke Jansen was better than we expected. (laughs) How dare you talk shit about <laughs> Xenia on a top from GoldenEye? I'm not talking shit about her. I'm talking shit about fucking... In a black leather uniform. <laughs> you shut your filthy hole. <laughs> and Anna Paquin did all right as Rogue. Yeah, not nearly as uh, reliance on nudity as in True Blood. <laughs> the only reason I can watch True Blood after about the fifth episode. So after you, you know, walked away from the initial yay of that first movie, then when the second movie hit and they listened to some more of the fan p- feedback and gave a little bit more in the way of, okay, we're going we're gonna to follow mostly Wolverine. <laughs> well, they, let's be fair. They <laughs> followed mostly Wolverine in the first one. True. Where I was going with it, they decided full on, though, we're going to do Weapon X. Yeah. They, we're going to revisit that. They didn't necessarily do it well because if you read Weapon X, you knew that they dropped whole chunks of storyline and all of that. But but don't worry. We got back to that in X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> but they they started to play up the things that, that played well in the first movie. We got to see Berserker Wolverine. Bloodless, but Berserker Wolverine Yeah, uh, for the first time. We got to see more of what Famke Jansen's uh, Jean Grey could do. And they started to hint at what could be a really cool Dark Phoenix storyline. We're going to forget about Last Stand. Last Stand never happened. Last it's like what? the Godfather 3. It, it never happened. Uh, yeah. Rocky I've, 5. Like, <laughs> I've seen it once. <laughs> it's a, we, we talked about this, uh, I think, last week. We've got the first two on Blu-ray and then First Class and the first two Wolverine movies. Yeah. And uh, Days of Future Past is not bad, but it was it was okay. But, but again, they've decided they had decided that Wolverine was their property, so they were sticking him in places where he like in Days of Future Past. That was supposed to be a Kitty Pride story. Oh, it absolutely was. But if you've got Hugh Jackman, <laughs> right? You know, not anything against Ellen Page, but if you've got Hugh Jackman, <laughs> <laughs> right? So I mean, the, the movies over time. It, it, Hugh Jackman can retire on this. He he didn't have to do Australia. He didn't have to <laughs> oh no! It's a. I think the last three movies are, are him paying off the devil or whatever he owes on Viva Laughlin, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but it it's true. How often do you get to see one actor play a genre character like this for seventeen years? Yeah. I mean, the only one I can think of is Dirty Harry. Mm. You know, Clint Eastwood did that. That was seventeen years. Wow. Okay. And the Deadpool. Was shit. <laughs> that was sending off the dirty Harry <laughs> with shit in his pants and 
I mean, my God, it's uh, when when the when the movie starts with Jim Carrey being murdered, and that's really the only exciting part. All I remember about the Deadpool, and I own the entire Dirty Harry series, but I don't I haven't watched the Deadpool. It's not quite Godfather Three shit, but when Dirty Harry Callahan kills somebody with a harpoon gun. <laughs> Instead of his 44 Magnum, after being chased through the streets by a remote control car with a bomb in it, yeah, Dirty Harry probably could have retired with sudden impact. <laughs> Go ahead, make my day, and he's killed from a sniper half a mile away or something. <laughs> Just hits the dirt. So, yeah, you were right, though. To watch Hugh Jackman with this character grow and evolve with it over time, some of the storylines were better than others, but he was always good. Absolutely. There's not a lot really good I can objectively say about X-Men Origins Wolverine. (laughs) But, you know, he played the hell out of it. Yeah. (laughs) I I enjoyed Leif Schreiber in it as well. Uh, That's true. uh, I like him in just about anything. Now I want want to watch Goon with uh, Sean William Scott. (laughs) Now I want to watch Ray Donovan. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to that at some point. (laughs) So, So this movie opens up and... He is done with life. He is done with everything. They hint at some awful thing that's happened at Westchester. And he's taking care of Professor Xavier, who everybody thinks is dead, except for uh, a man named Donald uh, Price. I was going to say Blake, but that's Thor. Yeah. <laughs> I never got it. You were able to identify who you think he is. Uh, he. They don't go this route in the movie, but um, Price is a cyborg. He is a member of the Hellfire Club, which is central to the Dark Phoenix story. Yeah, he is, I've read the Dark Phoenix story, but you know, beyond Sebastian Shaw and a bunch of bustiers and Wolverine going on his first real comics berserker rage, I kind of tune out on the rest of it. So he he has a smaller part relative to the other characters. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I since I don't remember him at all. But that's where he debuts. Okay. And then later on he comes back and, and he, he forms a group called the Reavers who are taking revenge on Wolverine and Weapon X and just trying to tear all of that down. So that's that's where they pull that from for this storyline. He he is leading the Reavers, who are a, a group of Mercenaries that are going after enhanced individuals for the purposes of corporate um, profit and auditioning like hell for Mad Max. uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty much. Five, rather. Okay, it's like Blackwater, but going after mutants. Yeah, it's it's weird that I I don't even know how you really consider this too much a sequel of any of the X Men stories. It, It clearly takes place in that universe, but. It really it hardly references anything from the other movies. Yeah, you know, there, there's the adamantium bullet. Yep. That you know he he was shot with in X Men Origins Wolverine to you know destroy his memory, and yet which conveniently completely obliterates the head of the Wolverine clone in this one. Yeah. Well, I, when they talk about the gun on the wall. <laughs> yeah. They were a little on the nose with this. It was the bullet on the wall. Yep. So. Wolverine is basically done with everything. He's he's easy to relate to in some ways, even though he's just not me or you or anybody, but like dealing with that elderly parent. <laughs> like that's the relationship he has with Xavier at this point. Yeah, dealing with the elderly parent, getting old 
yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's a look, uh, we went out drinking on Saturday night and I slept almost all Sunday <laughs> and I felt shame. Uh, no, it wasn't too long ago. I just kept all night I could drink until noon, take a two hour nap, get up, go do a comedy show. Have a few beers at the comedy show. Go to work the next day. Yeah, I mean, the whole whole time he's trying to work as a limo driver so he can pull in some kind of income so he can keep the whole concern going where he's got Xavier stashed and there he's got Caliban, who's a mutant hunter who's reformed, living with him yeah. to try to help out. And that was the only down note for me. Stephen Merchant was great as Caliban. I wish he had more to do. Are you kidding me? The, that one scene with the two grenades? He went out like a goddamn champion. <laughs> oh, I don't disagree. I just, I liked him so much, I wish he had more to do. Yeah. I'm not sure at the expense of what, but... <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. We're talking a two-hour and 20-minute movie that really was the swan song of two characters. Yes. Because it, it's, it's not just Hugh Jackman who was there for 17 years. So was Patrick Stewart. Exactly. You know, he was there right at the beginning, too, and it was a hell of a swan song for him, and he was clearly just having a blast of... All right, I'm going to do this character just on the ragged edge of barely knowing what's going on. And for the proper schoolmaster of the first couple of movies to be foul mouthed and whimpering and yeah, it's that, that cursing whole, people out. The horror of getting old. There was a lot going on with this. Like, what happens if you have the most powerful psychic brain in the world, but you can no longer control it because you can't control yourself? You're dealing with seizure disorder. You're dealing with dementia. You're dealing with um, just lack of bladder control. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a superhero. <laughs> um, you know, when, and I don't know if they played with this in, in CGI and post at all. Whenever Hugh Jackman picked up Patrick Stewart as a frail elderly man to place him in his blankets on his bed. It's just like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I doubt Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I don't think Patrick Stewart has been paid enough in anything to, <laughs> to go through the physical changes that Hugh Jackman, that poor son of a bitch, <laughs> who has yeah. lived for 17 years on chicken breasts with no skin <laughs> and broccoli. Yeah. I don't think Patrick Stewart is willing to say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go full Christian Bale on the, the mechanist <laughs> or the mechanic or whatever the hell it is. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't know whether they modified it or not, or just if Jackman's that big a dude. Isn't he like 6'4? Yeah, again, going back to the people who are like, but Danzig! <laughs> uh, yeah, so what? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's a big guy. That's one of the departures from the actual comic. But in terms of, of this movie, one of the, the, the interesting sort of, I don't want to say tropes about it, everybody that was that much more of an extreme fanboy with the original movies that wanted to see more of the berserker Wolverine that we had a taste of in X-Men 2 by, and I had no idea. I went into this movie completely unspoiled, which was glorious. I had no idea that they were going to have a Wolverine clone. They called it X-24. Yeah. That was a younger version. And I don't know if they CGI'd him up or if they just used that much age makeup to take him down for his protagonist character. But they had a, a full in the in the glory of his youth, Hugh Jackman as the clone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I was thinking of that. I'm like, God damn it! After all these years, the one movie where it's like, okay, I'm playing an older guy. Maybe I can. Maybe I don't have to just have the chicken breast and the broccoli. <laughs> it's like, oh no, and you're gonna be the bad guy, a young version of you. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> More chicken. All right. <laughs> Give me another anima. 
whatever the fuck the poor guy had to do to, to get in that kind of shape. But it was it was like just saying to those fans, like, all right, you want the Berserker Wolverine? Fine, he's the bad guy. Yeah, and he's terrifying. He is terrifying. It's like, a, there's there's nothing heroic or exciting about it. He's just a murderous he's piece He's a of monster. Shit. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to say, that Wolverine was right up through Weapon X before he, he got control of his faculties. And... To see that play out, because spoilers, that clone is the one that takes out Professor X. And you don't know until it's already happened, because you have no idea. Because there he is on the screen. Yeah, he just shows up. And you in- think and you think it's Wolverine, you think it's Logan, because he's in shadow. And then all of a sudden, literally the snicked. <laughs> yeah. As he slides those adamantium claws into to Professor X, who has just given this for your consideration for the Academy speech about like life and everything coming full circle, like as he's like waking up in the beautiful dawn of the morning at this farmhouse. Oh yes. This has been the best day I've had in years and, and I don't deserve it with, I love that. I remember what happened in Westchester. Yeah. It's I, you and I have talked about this in a lot of ways for me, this is the unforgiven of superhero movies. Yeah. You know, and and you can only really have that if you've got seventeen years worth of superhero movies to take a step back from, and sort of look at them from the outside the way Unforgiven did with westerns. Granted, there are a hell of a lot more westerns than superhero movies, but yeah, looking at it from the outside, somebody with a berserker rage and knives in their hands would be terrifying. It's probably awesome to have mental powers as long as you have your mental faculties. Yes. Otherwise, you're incredibly dangerous to yourself and everyone around you. And which is sort of the whole point of Legion, which we need to get back into. <laughs> yeah, we're only a couple behind on it. It's, yeah. we just That's a hell of a TiVo, and we've been busy. <laughs> They're on there. We're going to get back to it, because I love the first couple. But yeah, it's the idea that having superpowers will fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> the... We we talked about the in the real world. If somebody bolts metal to your bones, nothing good is going to come of that. <laughs> no, and yeah, it's, maybe it, if it's titanium and surgical grade, because they use that shit for like joints and stuff. But uh, yeah, but they they use a nickel's worth. <laughs> they don't put it all over your skull <laughs> and you know, dump a whole bunch of extra shit in so that you can have claws and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's probably not going to be great for you. And uh, yeah, it's and in the end. Super heroism meant nothing. No. In the end, big corporate money found a solution to the mutant problem and they just sort of quietly went away. So it doesn't matter the great stands that Professor X and the X-Men made. And ultimately, there's a real intimation that Professor X was the death of the X-Men with some kind of episode. That, In Westchester. Yeah, that that caused some kind of widespread destruction at the very least uh, yeah well, the wolverine is a fucking uber driver it's a limo <laughs> it's a limo and he's looking for rides on his phone app yeah that's true so he's a uber black good for him <laughs> with that given the, the relationship that Logan and and Xavier have had over the course of this movie in this sort of bizarre dynamic because it was always in the earlier movies Xavier wanted to be the like a role model and this is what Logan should behave as and this is this is why we do what we do and it's for the greater good 
And in this movie, he's trying one last time as best he can through the various fugue states to explain to Logan that what we're doing is we're trying to, to be caretakers and role models because we've discovered that there are younger mutants that need to be shepherded, that need to be taken care of. And it, that we even go so far as they make it blatant. Um, Laura, who is X-23, is a mutant who they discover who has Logan's genetic code. So somebody got a hold of... It's like when they were talking about when in uh, Batman Beyond, how they got a hold of Batman's DNA to make Terry McGinnis. He just leaves it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So the same thing being that, you know, all of these various superhero fights over the years, corporate stooges have gone out very fastidiously and collected DNA from mutants, and that includes Logan's, and kept it on ice until such a time as they had the technology to be able to splice it with embryos. They they were keeping young girls breeding in a laboratory. The girls were disappeared after they gave birth. And now we we have come across Laura, among others, and Laura has Wolverine's genetic code. She's got the end of NTN claws. She's even got a a new feature where she's got a, a spike that comes out of her feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's straight from the comic books. They yeah. try to give they try to give it a half assed explanation. You know, to, oh no, because a, a lioness also has claws in her feet to protect against. <laughs> to protect to protect her young, and I kept waiting for senile Charles to, to for for Logan to say really, and senile Charles to say, "Nah, I'm just trying to make you feel better. Those are awesome. Why didn't you have those?" <laughs> um, but you know, Wolverine wants no Logan wants no part of this. He he it kind of reverts back to some themes that you recognize if you've been following the franchise the whole time along. When he first met Rogue in the first X-Men movie, fine, I'll get you to Westchester, but other than that, I, I want no part of this. This is not my fight. You know, in X-Men 2, he's become more of the, the caretaker for the kids, but he still doesn't see himself as any kind of teacher. You know, he's it's hard for the kids to relate to him, especially after they see him go on, on the berserker rampage, because that's scary as it should be. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is also to get to this point, anything that he might have done to become a joiner and a part of a solution for a peaceful integration between humanity and mutants was all for shit. Yeah based on whatever happened. And we don't even need to know what happened. Yeah, it's a, we know enough. I followed this guy, and he wound up killing a whole bunch of people, and I'm beholden enough to him, all right, I'll get you the fuck out of Dodge. And at one point, Xavier, and I never know if it's Xavier or It's Xavier, because it's, it's an exaggerated pronunciation because of X-Men. Yeah, well, I'm a grown-up. So Xavier... <laughs> Flat out says, you're just waiting for me to die. And yeah, I think that's the extent of the loyalty at the beginning of this movie that he feels. And and that's that's the tension, because there are times, I think, where Logan is just waiting for him to die because he wants to just be able to move on and drift out. The idea is, you know, they're going to get a boat and they're going to go live on the water, presumably until Charles dies, at which point he'll just tip him over and he'll be fish food. Probably. <clears throat> and he'll probably drill a hole in the bottom of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> And blow his own head off with a with a bullet. Yeah, I mean, it's implied that on any given day, he could roll the dice and decide that today is the day that he takes adamantium to the head. Yeah, I mean, he flat out... <laughs> yeah, any, 
any concept that, oh, Wolverine does this to protect the children. These children don't need protecting. These children are highly damaged. There is no innocence of children in Logan. That's (laughs) not where I was. But Charles, Charles sees the good in all. So his feeling is that we need to put aside whatever we're feeling right now and get back into grown-up mode because there are children on the line. And that's where everything started in the first X-Men movie. There's children on the line. Uh, That's true. The scariest children that you will ever meet. But that was that was the particular skill set that Xavier had for for good or ill. <laughs> it's a, I'm in no way arguing his motivation. I'm just saying, and again, taking a step back of this is the unforgiven of superhero movies. Yeah, children with superpowers would also be terrifying. Yeah, particularly children. Yeah, that if they had any training, was training to use them as a weapon. You know, ask Cyborg Donald, who, <laughs> who the minute his back is turned, the rest of the new mutants, in quotes, I don't know if that's what they're calling them, they all team up to just fucking destroy them. Oh, absolutely. There, know, there's a reason Village of the Damned and Children of the Corn are a thing. Yeah, that's true. Because children are fucking terrifying, even if they don't have superpowers. But in comic books, unless you're Hit Girl, yeah. that's not a thing that gets explored. But yeah, they, the rest of the, they had no problem killing him. Yeah. And uh, Laura, X-23, she can't string together two days without leaving five bodies behind her. (laughs) And Wolverine has a, Logan has a direct conversation with her of, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about shooting myself with that thing. Yeah. Everything hurts. I've been doing this for too long. And, And that's, and that's where I'm going with this is eventually when he's around Laura long enough he begins to realize, oh shit, she's me. And I didn't really have anybody for me when I was that age. So Yeah, right down to the the, one of his final statements of uh, don't be, you don't have to be what they made you. Yeah. Which is what he was for a long time. Right. And she takes to heart um, the final monologue from Shane, which she watches. It's a really cute scene with uh, Charles. They're in the hotel room, and this movie Shane comes on, which yeah. is you know it sort of plays into the whole tone of this is really a western. Oh, definitely. And it gets into the whole monologue of you know killing stays with you. It's a brand. <laughs> yep. And she internalizes it and manages somehow having watched the movie only once to memorize <laughs> the entire monologue. Well, uh, for plot purposes, for plot purposes of the eulogy, because ultimately Wolverine demonstrates what it is to be a role model for Laura by protecting her and ultimately laying his life down for her. And, oh, and that's how he's a hero to her. Yes, that's absolutely understandable, and I think my favorite moment of it was when, right after that speech, she turned around to Richter and said, I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> we, <laughs> that's funny. but <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Not to, to make light of the scene, but actually what I took from that was, um, here's the beginning of where she if she wasn't already is going to begin to have difficulty fitting in because they all stand around just long enough for her to bury him, say her piece. And they're like, all right, we got to go. And she stands there and nobody has the presence of mind from that group of kids to be like, are you okay? Or like, can you, are you ready to go? Oh, these are deeply broken and defective children. Exactly. So if this is supposed to be the beginning of any kind of new superhero outfit, 
yeah, she is already so deeply scarred and apart from them because she's gone through a thing they cannot understand. And they weren't there for her beyond, okay, is he in the ground? Let's go. That is true. I can see that. I sincerely hope <laughs> that they resist the urge to do sequels of this. I don't know, because they went out of their way specifically to name check Richter. And Richter has been a fairly big part of the comics in in the last decade and a half. That's true. But they also hired Ellen Page and then made Wolverine the center of true. Days of Future Past. True. It's This is a great ending of a story that is a possible future. The timeline of the X-Men movies is so fucked up. You can't really say what's in continuity or what isn't True. anymore. And in its own way, that's kind of its strength. Fine, you can have an Emma Frost in X-Men Origins Wolverine and in First Class. Fine, whatever. We'll just, <laughs> wherever people fit, we'll just plug them in. It doesn't really matter. We fucked up the timeline so much with Days of Future Past to try to retcon uh, Last Stand that okay great that sort of worked but even then last stand elements are in the wolverine which is a vastly better movie than x-men origins wolverine not nearly as good as logan even though it's the same director they're already hinting that the next property after x-men apocalypse is going to be uh they're they're calling it the working title is x-men supernova and it's supposed to be they're going to go dark phoenix with sophie turner's jean gray right supposedly does this mean at some point we have to watch x-men apocalypse we don't have to do anything (laughs) (laughs) Just to sort of be up on things, I guess. Although, uh, I didn't watch The Wolverine and go, wow, I should go back and revisit The Last Stand. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't come up. That wasn't a thing I had to worry about. Yeah. This was a movie that if you already bought into and enjoyed Hugh Jackman as Logan, there's no way you don't come away from this not affected. It, It was such a strong finale to go out with. Everything about it was believable for, you know, a movie with people with superpowers. One thing wasn't, and you and I talked about this, who the fuck was writing those comic books <laughs> that they put the exact coordinates for Eden in the comic books? Well, that's just it. We never see them actually get to that that safe haven. We see them think that they're headed towards a safe haven and they're going to go over the Canadian border, but we don't actually see them get to this mythical Eden. We don't, but we hear them talking on the radio with them. To someone. We don't know. The next movie could be like, it was a honeypot, and now now Canada's corporate fascists has them. <laughs> they <laughs> those, have. Do they have those in Canada? Those, uh, <clears throat> maybe. <laughs> I mean, they, they were sort of heading up through the middle-ish north of, of the New United States, so they're going into like... I don't know Alberta or some some red statey portion of Canada. I've, I've I'm a product of the American public school system. Uh, I don't know geography so good. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to tell you, <coughs> but I, I guess that's possible. But no, just just leave this alone. Yeah. leave this timeline alone. It's a, you're in a superhero movie. You can say, "Yep, that's a thing that happened," and just put a bow on it. They won't. They won't. I mean, they won't do it because uh, I'm looking at my notes if I got what's her. Daphne Keene. Yes, that's uh, uh, Laura. Yes. Uh, I'm sure people, because she's getting, and she was very good in it, but they also, James Mangold, the director, did a trick with it. And you and I have also talked about this. By keeping her silent, and when she's not silent, mostly speaking in a foreign language, 
eliminates the whole child actor weird line reading thing you get from most child actors. True. Jake Lloyd. Um, <laughs> where they sound sound like they're not even real people. Yes. And it's it, it's a smart move because the example I thought of was you can watch Clerks and you can watch El Mariachi, which were two very independent movies with unknown actors both around the same time. Yes. Clerks looks like it's filled with fucking amateurs because it is. El Mariachi doesn't because if you're a native English speaker in, in this Spanish language movie, you don't know what wrong syntax sounds like. So it sounds more naturalistic. So it was, it was smart directing. <laughs> she might be the worst actress in human history except for her physicality. Which I will take. <laughs> yeah. And, and how they found an actress that was that good, at least physically, and, and who also resembled Famke Jansen to twist that one other knife in Logan. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was smart casting. She was she was very good, but there were some tricks there to minimize. Uh, let's let's just let's hedge our bets here and try to make this a little little simpler. Oh, absolutely. But, but yeah, let's go back to to Daphne Keene's performance for a second. It, she she was amazingly physical. I don't know where they found her, what her background was, but this was a kid that was was ready to throw down amongst adults. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she was. For the performance that she gave, it was excellent. There weren't any real holes in it. Again, the only holes I saw was uh, all right. He might be head- Mangold might be hedging his bets, keeping things in certain kind of ways to to keep the line readings off kilter enough so that you didn't notice anything. But I didn't notice anything. So who gives a shit? Yeah. But there's this moment near the end of the movie where Wolverine is is going after his clone and and the reavers and he says to her because he's he's finally decided he's made his decision he's going to stand up for her he's going to defend her and her friends get behind me because he's being protective like a father and then <laughs> yeah i forgot about this and then he like whips the claws out and he's ready to go and then she comes running up in back of him and jumps over his <laughs> like uses his back as like a launching a springboard point. yeah <laughs> and and you know it, it wasn't quite, but damn if you didn't think, ah, oh, it's a cannonball special. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fastball Fast special. Well, Not quite the same thing. Yeah. But it had that moment. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's part of what I liked about this movie was it, it almost repudiates the idea of superhero stories. The, you know, corporate money won. Superhero groups, uh, the mutants are all dead. You've got uh, who's left? Uh, Xavier, who can't control his powers. Uh, you've got Caliban, who's great at finding mutants, except there aren't any. Yeah. So, you know, thank God, hand grenades, go out like a champion. <laughs> the Wolverine, who's rotting from the inside. And yeah, these superpowered children who are just monstrous and forced to be too adult. And let's really take a look back. It's like, yep, Wolverine saved. Laura, X-23, and we've established in the course of this movie, having an adamantium skeleton fucking kills you. Yeah. So, yeah, she's staring down the barrel of around 50, keeling over like a drunken syphilitic at a leper colony. Well, it depends, because if they're going with the actual canon, he's been around since the 1800s, so... She's got a good 200 years. But he only got the adamantium around 81 because he went to Vietnam. That's true. And it was okay. six or seven years later that Weapon X got him. So we're talking the early 80s. So we're talking- This is supposed to be 2024. Like, they are very specific. This is happening just slightly in the future. So yeah, so 81 to 2024 is what? 40, 50 years? Yeah. 
So okay. yeah, she's eleven. Yeah. Yeah, she's not getting her two hundred years. No. She's she's not getting social security <laughs> before before pus starts coming out of her foot because she's got those cool foot claws. She got the foot pus. At least Wolverine didn't have the foot pus. She's got foot pus. It's a hard way to go. That that foot cancer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it's that's never spoken of. But it's implied. Yeah. You know, and it's going to happen with her still fucking four foot whatever, because once you've got a adamantium all bonded to your bones, I doubt you're growing a whole hell of a lot. That's a very good point. She's going to be doing midget snuff porn to earn enough money to to pay for antibiotics so she doesn't get the foot pus. There's no hope in this movie. Four foot 11 and three quarters inches for her rest of her life. Maybe they also got Danzig's DNA. <laughs> And that's how they also were doing some fan service. <laughs> <laughs> yep, in 2072, she's just stumble around, mother. <laughs> but the entire concept of superheroes can save the world is they can't even save themselves. Yeah. And they're doomed. Uh, and, and they show that. Whenever they come in contact with normals, shit gets fucked up. Be it when they're on the run from the Reavers and in the hotel, in the the one sort of semi-city that they they bring them to, because they kind of keep them on in the rural rural areas and sort of on the outskirts for most of this movie. Yeah. But they do bring them in, into um, one city so that they can hole up at a hotel while they try to get their shit together on the run from the Reavers. Xavier has his seizure and almost wipes out this city. Uh, yeah, injures dozens of people, yeah. if not hundreds. Critically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... From there, when they encounter a, a kindly normal farming family on the road who is also a, a victim of big corporate. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, well, Logan gets one hero moment of he grabs the gun and breaks it. I'm still a hero. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because they're all dead by the end of the night. And the father's last living move is to try and shoot Wolverine. Yeah, because <laughs> he's like you're just the same as the rest of them, as far as he can tell. Yeah, it, there are, there are no heroics except to save these children, who we watch between all of them kill about thirty people. They're extremely fucking dangerous. Yeah, and there's Charles Xavier's dead. We don't know who's in Eden. Mora McTaggart, mm-hmm. Sasquatch, <laughs> uh, Carol Danvers. God help you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yep, back into the back into the danger room, kids. And maybe they'll find Alpha Flight. <laughs> That's a fate worse than death. <laughs> but yeah, superheroes are not saving the world here. They can't even save themselves. Being superpowered is a terrible thing. We. <laughs> it does turn that sort of on its head because the whole idea of the mutants originally were supposed to be a celebration of we're all different, we're all diverse, and we should all embrace each other, and it doesn't matter how different we are. Well, got news for you. Yeah, <laughs> rich white corporate America uh, wiped you out. <laughs> and, and and farms you out to the others, because they make this whole sort of subtle comment on all of that, you know, g- genetically modified organisms that we're, we're using to, to make your corn syrup for your energy drinks and to make you feel better about yourself. That's all. We're taking all the technology that we learned from harvesting mutants just to make everybody else in the world have a better time at your expense. Well, 
we've established no one person, be they super or not, can effectively stand against corporate money and interest. Yeah. Ask Ellen Ripley and Waylon Yutani. Yeah. <laughs> it's a time a time told story. It's a well worn uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a far more from a movie standpoint, effective deconstruction of superhero movies than the Watchmen movie was. Yeah. Now, granted, it's been about eight years since the Watchmen movie. It was dead in the middle of, ooh, Dark Knight money and the very beginning of the Marvel Studios machine. So there's that much more time to have built up a mythos to tear down. So it was probably better timing for it altogether. But I, I, I can't think of too many flaws in it. No, I I want to go see it again, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's we can go this week. <laughs> because it, you know, it was really really affecting the first time around and now I kind of want to watch it a second time now that I know everything that's coming so that I can better sort of analyze and break it apart. So yeah, this is a a definite go see it. Yes. It's uh I'm not sure where I put it in my list of all-time superhero movies, but I put it up there. I put it way up there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still always going to have a soft spot for Unbreakable, which to this day is still at the top of mine. Mm. That's a popular choice, but <laughs> it's truth. I, I hear that they're talking about an Unbreakable 2. I have said for years, I want to see that just for one particular scene, although at this point it's been, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, that's been another 17-ish years. It's a, that's another one where... The scene I want to see is Mr. Glass is at the top of a skyscraper with his son. The problem is his son's like 30 now. (laughs) With his son, and he calls David. It's a hostage situation. And he says, all you have to do, David, to save your son is fly up here. He's like, I can't fly. He's like, have you tried? (laughs) But again, his son's 40 now. (laughs) I might be. (laughs) His son might break a hip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I might be David's uh, son. So we'll we'll never see that. But... (laughs) It would have been an awesome scene, but no, Lady in the Water and the Nature of Myth and <laughs> me against the critics and <laughs> and trees are killing everyone. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to give it some thought. This has got to be in the top five somewhere because I'm having a hard time thinking of what's really better. Mm. There are better comic booky movies, but this is just a good movie about a superhero. Yeah, I don't know because... Most of the comic book movies are action genre that are bright colors and and generally you don't have to think about them real hard. And basically they said, all right, Iron Man, good. Build on that. Don't be too different. Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. But you don't come away from it going, oh, wow, I really like, I want to know more about the world building and the mythos of that particular character and the other characters within. You feel that way about Logan, and that movie, you don't necessarily feel that way about Doctor Strange or the Avengers movies. Yeah, the thing I keep coming back to in my head with Logan is what stopped the bad guy was a child shooting him in the head. The superhero was killed by the bad guy. Yeah. The only thing that stopped him was a kid with a gun. <laughs> uh, the NRA is going to be all over that. Where? <laughs> Where that fits into superhero stories, I don't know, but it took some balls, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, and and it had to be that way, because there was a moment where Wolverine picked up that gun, and I it was painful. I like I, It's like watching Batman with a gun. It's, it's a cognitive dissonance I should never see 
Bruce Wayne, Batman, or Logan Wolverine with a gun. Well, that's why Batman Beyond started off so strong. Yeah. The very first episode of Batman Beyond was, yeah, it's Bruce Wayne basically Batman having a heart attack and he can't hold off this criminal, so he's got to pick up the gun to hold him off. Right. And just even with the blank Batman Beyond mask, the horror in his eyes that was animated there was powerful. And that's a, okay, this is a good hook to show me a new Batman and why. And yeah, with a five-minute scene, it made it very clear this is why this has to happen. Yeah. And why we have to have a new Batman. It was great. So, yeah. I'm much happier the child murdered the clone. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're just happy whenever a clone gets murdered at this point, huh? (laughs) We're specifically not talking about the the latest clone conspiracy (laughs) book this week. Because I had too good a feeling coming out of Logan, so I didn't want to get filled with hate and rage. Okay. All right. With that said, you want to talk about a couple of comic books real quick? Sure. What would you like to talk about first? Uh, I've got short notes here about America, number one. Uh, <laughs> I thought you didn't want to be filled with hate and rage. Yeah. All right, look, I, all I'll say about this is uh, I am not the target audience for America, number one. Uh, nor, it, nor was I. So uh, it provides representation uh, for particular groups, which is important. Uh, if you're not a member of those groups, uh, you can probably skip it. Also, though, you might enjoy it if you are younger than I am by yeah. about 15 years. Yes. Possibly uh, 25 years. Look, if you listen to this show regularly, you probably like the same books that we do. Um, this one's not for you. Which of the other books do you want to talk about? <laughs> I would like to talk about Batman. All right. Number 18. <laughs> Batman 18, written by Tom King, uh, art by David Finch. Uh <laughs> My uh, first note here is Batman stands there while Bane beats the shit out of him. Uh, We get a bunch (laughs) of flashbacks to things we already knew, uh, but Catwoman is pretty kick-ass, though. Yeah, that Batman sure can take a punch. (laughs) (laughs) He can take about 90 punches and apparently give none back. Yeah, what's going on with that? I I blame feline tertiary syphilis. (laughs) That's just me. Well, he spent two or three episodes balls deep in Catwoman. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) One night in Selena. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's start it! Let's start it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a weird book. It, it spends a lot of time and page real estate showing us stuff that we pretty much already know, which is that Bane is meant to be Batman's opposite number. Yes. So they both lost their parents. They both grew up under adverse circumstances. They both transformed themselves to be able to deal with that loss in very different circumstances, but with a lot of parallels between them, which is fine. But didn't we already know that? <laughs> I mean... Uh, it, this is for those who are jumping on now because for whatever reason, they weren't reading DC before and we're doing Batman Rebirth. So if you weren't familiar... This is the retelling of this particular portion of the canon. Yeah, but less than five years ago was The Dark Knight Rises, which had Bane in it. Certainly not the direct Bane from the comic books, but with the same origin story and the same building himself up, all the parallels are there. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it's not like we're we're going deep into Batman. This isn't Kite Man's origin story. <laughs> It's not crazy quilt. It's, it's not it's, Calendar Man. Yeah, it's it's Bane. It's a big name. Mm-hmm. It's, it's he's been in two movies. One of them sucked, <laughs> but he's been in two movies. It's not a brand new story. 
yeah, the idea that Bane is Batman's opposite number has been baked into the character since the minute he was introduced. So I, I think they just were doing it for the sake of we need to to be clear on this just in case. And I think they're also doing it because they're trying really hard to show how Selena is the foil for all of this. Yeah, the weird thing is the last couple of arcs of of Tom King's Batman have been better Catwoman stories than Batman stories in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Because, you know? yeah, the, the big kick-ass, oh, they got one over on Bane was purely from Catwoman. It's a, I counted, there were two punches Batman threw in this book, and he missed with both of them. Almost on purpose. The, don't <laughs> give me that, that, that look. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> I have been drinking. You sure have. <laughs> it's going to be a better show because of it, I've decided. Sure. Certainly my judgment's not impaired. No, anyway, no. <laughs> why would he miss a purpose? I, I don't know. I guess. Look, the whole of his plan was to let Catwoman take out his other dudes, but still somebody has to stop him when he goes in to, to get Psycho Pirate. We all know it's going to be the rest of the Robin family, but... I, I don't know. I mean, if... I am Batman. I am the knight. I am a diversion. Like, that doesn't seem like his thing. <laughs> I am the knight. I rope dopes. <laughs> Just stand here. I can take a punch. I'm Rocky Balboa. In the first one. Not yeah. the good one where he actually beats up the Bane type character. No, I just take a punch. He's Homer Simpson. And then I lie down <laughs> with my two turtles. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's this weird thing where most of, not most of it, but a large part of this comic is, yeah, the six panel grids with Bruce Wayne on the left and Bane on the right going through childhood and adolescence and early training and all these parallels that are in between them. Yeah, and most of them are on the nose. A couple of them are sort of stretches. Mm -hmm. Batman eating soup and and Bane eating raw fish. (laughs) What fucking My precious? What, what fucking kind of criminal justice system does Santa Prisca have anyway? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was always implied that it was in a third world toilet somewhere. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> that can apparently get fresh fish. Well, well, no, it's a, the the cell he was in supposedly flooded every night, almost all the way to the top when the tide came in and then went out. So the yeah. fish were coming in. They weren't chucking fresh fish at him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, th- this wasn't you know this isn't a shitty theme sushi restaurant somewhere <laughs> you know, in Tribeca. No, it's uh, no the water comes in and you grab the fish when the water goes back out. I guess. I guess. But yeah, some of those are. But it, it's all redundant. We, Batman and Bane have always supposed to have been opposites of each other. Back to the, his very first appearance in that Chuck Dixon Vengeance of Bane one. I, uh, for Christ's sake, Bane, B for Batman, Ain for Wayne. It's <laughs> it's written right into his fucking name. All I can guess is that they're spending this time trying to show how they, they are each other's equals for, for the most part in order to show how single-minded the two of them are to the point that Bane's pride that he can take out the Batman is precluded by the fact that Batman at least has sought out his family. So he's got other people backing him, whereas Bane has been an army of one and because that's how he came up. Yeah, the, the two possible things to make this interesting uh, that I saw in this were, yes, one of the panel matches in the six-panel grid was 
Batman saying to the Batman family, you're the, one of the sources of my strength versus Bane just taking a needle full of venom, uh, telling a doctor, do, do I look like I care if I live or die? Yeah. And, and that's why I, I think it's kind of telegraphed that, yes, Batman's been beaten down. Catwoman has taken out Bane's resistance and it's going to be Robin and Red Hood and Nightwing and Red Robin. Well, not Red Robin. He's he's off with Ozymandias somewhere. <laughs> But are going to finally stop Bane with Batman yes. maybe coming in at the very end. The one other interesting thing was when Bane said, I'm not some spoiled rich boy playing dress up. Because the the one thing that the six panel grid hammers home is not only the parallels between them, but the stark differences of Batman is growing up with access to a butler and resources and the ability to travel and Bane is stuck in this shithole. So there's a certain amount of class warfare. Yeah. Bane as working class hero. Uh, I'm sure Bruce Springsteen's shedding a tear of joy over that <laughs> one. But but I mean how much more you can play that up from I came up from nothing and will destroy you, you rich punk. I, I don't know. I'm not sure where you go with that. I, I don't know. But I mean, th- those are really the only two differences. Other- otherwise, it's like, yep, I get it. They're pretty much the same. They're supposed to be. I think we'll we'll get a little bit more payoff in the next issue when we see how this resolves. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to resolve with everybody that Batman sent off. Yeah. Because that's one thing we keep seeing from King is... We see Batman saying something to certain groups, and then it turns out, oh, no, there was some other sub-message, and it turns out they came back. You know, Catwoman twice now has been, oh, I'm here to be, I'm either have been sent to betray you to Bane, oops, turns out I'm doing something else, or I've sent you to be a hostage, oh, I'm doing something else. So I think we're going to see the Batman family come out and be what actually stops Bane. Or maybe this is just resolved with, you know, Psycho Pirate uh, has healed Gotham Girl at this point. She's got a, a Superman level set of powers. I hope that's not <laughs> it. If you spent an entire issue trying to map similarities and minor class based differences and the ability to take on help, yeah, yeah, but it's a lot of time mapping similarities between these two characters to then say, and Superman came and saved everything. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of lame. Yeah, I'm just saying though that he now has that in his arsenal. Yeah, I suppose. But otherwise, yeah, it's Tom King has written some really good Batman stories over the last year or so, but he's also chucked up some whiffs. And this really kind of feels like one. This really feels like an eight page story that's been padded into 20. I'm not sure that it's a whiff, but I think that it needs the next issue to really resolve itself or or for me to decide that it's a whiff. Yeah, I mean, the arc itself, it's like his, uh, well, not the Catwoman arc, but the the last the last arc where he went up against Bane to get Psycho Pirate. There were a couple of spectacular issues in there, and overall the story was pretty good, but there were a couple of, uh, this is, yeah, uh, Yeah. So right now this is on the, yeah. the arc may wind up spectacularly, but this particular issue just felt like it had a lot of filler to me. I do wonder, actually, if the resolution is going to involve Selena more than it's going to involve the Robins, because this whole time where the two of them have been posturing back and forth in these side-by-side panels about, and and she gets into this whole, I don't know what you guys are doing. I suspect it involved blood and flexing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the name of my new Danzig cover band. Blood and Flexing? Yes. <laughs> she just very quietly takes out Bane's people and uh, inscribes on them, I am Cat. Well, everybody's been walking around, I am suicide, I am Bane. Yeah, but she doesn't have I to- am hungry, I am wetting my <laughs> pants. <laughs> but my point being that she she's not making a big point other than action. I suppose. Like all of this back and forth, blah, 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 blood and flexing. <laughs> she just takes out the people. <laughs> takes out the people, writes her name on them. There's a trophy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, what better way to show that you haven't escaped your <laughs> your 247 murder? Ca- Although, uh, no, Holly Robinson. Allegedly. Yeah, whatever. 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 Greatest murderer in history. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, look. Ultimately, this issue doesn't really advance the story that much. Batman gets beat on. We see a lot of parallels. We already knew we were that were there. And uh, yeah, Catwoman takes the most direct action in the plot. It takes two pages of it. You can probably skip this issue. Yeah, and, and either wait for the trade or come in and really not have missed a hell of a lot in the next one. Yeah. So if you're if you're down, it's. Uh, well, the Batman books are still three dollars, so compared to a lot of comics, that's a bargain. But yes. if you gotta, if you need to save three bucks, and I hate to say it because you know I put I put one of his Batman issues as one of the best single issues of last year. This one, uh, you're not missing a hell of a lot. Yeah, and I, I think it's the danger of writing for the trade. So if you're trying to pace something in a particular way so that it's six issues, yeah, you're gonna have the occasional one that feels like fluff. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Want to talk about Savage Things? Yes. Okay. Yes, I would. Savage Things, number one. A Vertigo book. A Vertigo book. Nice to see. Written by Justin Jordan, art by Ibrahim Mustafa. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is really kind of an elevator pitch book. Yeah. It's like, what if the government trains serial killers as they were budding serial killers? Wait, wait. Are you saying what if like the government or corporate interests took a hold of a bunch of young kids and tried to train them for nefarious purpose? Yes, only uh, their mutant power is uh, bedwetting and a complete lack of empathy. And the desire to abuse animals and light things on fire. <laughs> I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into that. I don't even need to look at the board anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a strong idea. Um, and unlike, you know, Mark Millar is notorious for elevator pitch. I call them small idea comics. Just, mm. oh, so what's something I can throw to a Hollywood producer at the, in the elevator at, at the Hyatt in San Diego. <laughs> the difference is this doesn't seem to be a weird take on anything else. I don't think I've seen this particular idea before, which is kind of, kind of makes it interesting. And, and the thing for me is this book really is about more about what it promises than it actually delivers because I think there's a lot of potential to the idea. But a lot of this particular issue is sort of circumstance and world building. Yeah, it gives you sort of the historical context for what's going on here and why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we meet Abel, who, uh, I mean, the whole theory is, yeah, back in 1991, uh, the, there was this Operation Black Forest, some government initiative conspiracy whatever, a couple of years before the X-Files debuted. Yeah, it's like when they decided that, okay, I guess uh, sociopaths are a thing. Perhaps we should round up as many of them as we can find and see if we can train them to work for us. Yes, you know, while conveniently killing their parents and just sort of taking them into custody and letting half of them kill them each other. Wiping them off other. the book. So. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, literally the first thing we see in this book is a kid setting a fire. Yeah. Which, yeah, is one of those three signs of a serial killer that Black Forest is looking for. And I would actually really like to meet Justin Jordan because I want to ask him if there was an early first draft where the first thing we see is Abel wet in the bed. (laughs) I think that (laughs) I, I need to know if that's a thing. Maybe that'll be in the next issue. We'll see one of the other kids. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's the one summer camp you can go to where if you wet the bed, it's like, good work, man. That's <laughs> Let's go burn your mattress. <laughs> Jesus. Nope, no bunk beds here. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else do we get? Uh, we meet some of the now retired government officials who that came up with this. formerly worked with. Yeah, stupid fucking idea. <laughs> And we, we see that somebody is trying to, to get attention of those former government officials because they went on a killing spree, giant fucking killing spree, uh, at, a, at a hotel and are leaving coordinates of where old records for that particular op had been in blood on the walls. Yes. Well, it's a, from my, what I took it was, uh, oh, these were the coordinates of the drone strike. Yeah. And I'm taking the drone strike. I'm guessing that's, okay, we've realized uh, we can't go anywhere with this because these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so let's just uh, hit them with a Hellfire rocket and uh, pretend it never happened. Right. Except clearly a couple of people got away. Uh, we've met Abel. I'm guessing Kane is probably the one... Yeah. Just for the sake of symmetry. Well, the nice thing is that uh, Justin Jordan at least realizes how goofy that is. He's like, all right, Abel. All right, who's Kane? Fucking Marty. (laughs) (laughs) You want to (laughs) know? You want to know goofy when it comes to naming? Here's another reason I want to meet Justin Jordan. One of the names of the guys who works for the government is Martin Koenig. So I want to meet him because I will almost guarantee you I am the only person who read this book, saw that name, and stopped dead because I recognized it was a mashup of Martin Landau, who played Commander John Koenig in Space 1999. <laughs> nice. So I, nice. I, I, I know that's on purpose. <laughs> I want that confirmed, Justin. <laughs> I will buy you a cocktail if that's the case. <laughs> All right. I didn't pick up on that, so good on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wasted fucking childhood, is what it is. But and it's, it, presumably it's it's Kane because we see a, a blonde male adult walking away from the hotel, and Kane and Abel are um, well. It's the first murder story. Yeah, it's the first murder story. But Abel is is this young black kid, and and Kane is this blonde kid. So presumably. Kane is the one who did the murder at the the hotel, which is why they're going after Abel to take him in. Yeah, the the reality is, if you have two characters named Kane and Abel, and Abel is one who's walking around free, it's not going to turn around. It's like, oh no, it's Persephone. Persephone is the one. Who, so yeah, it's Persephone versus Abel. No, nobody's going to do that. Bart and Lisa. <laughs> that would make more goddamn sense. <laughs> no, you got Abel. You got to fight Kane. Yes. And, Cain needs to have the upper hand because Cain killed Abel. It's all written there, like Martin Koenig. <laughs> Bart and Lisa. Bart. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so stuck on that. Because uh, it sounds like Martin Koenig. Sure. It fits. I'm so tired. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the more intriguing things about this this book to me was, I don't know who the good guy is going to be. I, I can guess the protagonist is going to be Abel, but I'm not sure who you have as a good guy in a story where we've got a serial killer who we've already seen shows no human fucking feelings whatsoever. Yeah. And what else? You got Dr. Koenig and Bob. 
<laughs> who've kidnapped 40 kids, immediately had 20 of them fucking kill each other, and apparently just gave garden variety fucking spastic nut jobs access to military training and fucking weaponry. I'm not sure who you root for in this story, but that's kind of fun now and again. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's necessarily supposed to be a hero here. Which is fine. It, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Part of me is hoping this doesn't... Because if you think about it, 1991 is when Silence of the Lambs broke. Yep. And that's when Jeffrey Dahmer got caught. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if... Oh, I'm almost hoping we get a scene of somebody talking to the first President Bush watching Silence of the Lambs going, I want Hannibal Lecter 007. Go make that happen for me. He looks like a bad motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus. See, the thing is, though, the the George W. Bush at that time is not, is, that's, that's the H. George W. Bush. Yeah. He's the one that used to direct the CIA. He's not going to have a dumb idea like that because he's going to know that it's a dumb idea. His kid might come in and say, hey, Dad, you know it'd be cool? <laughs> dad, I, dad, 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 dad. Uh, it might be a Cheney idea. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because Cheney would also realize it was a bad idea. <laughs> so, so what do you want to do? I, I want to train serial killers to use automatic weapons. You damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman! <laughs> but, you know, President number 43 <laughs> might have this thought that, you know, it would be cool. No politics on this show. God damn it. <laughs> the biggest problem that that I can foresee myself having with this is most real serial killers have some kind of sexual hang up that infor- informs their mo. You know, they're not just you know murder enthusiasts. They're looking for a type. You know, and they got to do certain things and certain rituals so they can jack off. That's creepy and crude, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I can see that being a hole in this story. I'd like to believe Jordan, you know, who did the Luther Strode books, which I really love, mm. uh, is a good enough writer to at least sort of address address that. Even if it's one or two people, it's like, yeah, we can't get them to use a gun because it keeps they keep stagging people and jerking off in the wounds. It's this show's gone dark. It's gone way dark. It's gone way dark. Um, so it's it's just it's something where as a true crime enthusiast, around the time when these were. That when this was happening in the early 90s, I know enough about serial killers. It's like, eh, it's kind of a, if you give Ted Bundy a gun, he's going to look at you and hand it back. <laughs> guns. I have no need of guns. Yeah. So. <laughs> Perhaps it'll be explored. But I mean, there's also enough, and they talk about the number of, of sociopaths who get into the business world. They're, they're not necessarily jerking off, or maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> Well, they did, he was, uh, Jordan was good enough in this to, to not just say, yeah, it's not just we think you're a sociopath, but it, you've got one of these indicators that also indicates you could move into murder. Yeah. You know, the bedwetting and the arson and the, uh, the cruelty animal abuse, to animals. Yeah. You know, that, that's serial killer indicators, not sociopathic indicators. True. It, it feels like he's got enough of a handle on it. I'd like to see that little point addressed because it would help with my suspension of disbelief because, uh, like I said, this is... I like this issue because it shows a lot of potential for the greater story overall. This is a lot of world building and setting stuff up. Uh, and it was done well enough. It's like, all right, yeah, I want to see what happens next. All right. So any different observations? No, or? I just, I, I enjoyed it. I'll be curious to see what happens next. I was not hung up on the fact that somebody needed a fetish in order to get their rocks off while killing. But... <laughs> it's... Uh, I'm not going to continue to talk about this. <laughs> Google it. Fuck it. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. Maybe. 
<laughs> Showtime, a-holes. All right. Plus, it's just nice to see something good from Vertigo. I'm psyched yes. about that. All right. Yes. Anything else, or should we wrap it up? I, I very much enjoyed Ibrahim Mustafa's work in this book, by the way, on the art. I, I like the line work. I, I like um, the the use of the various expressions. Well, it's a, we've liked him for a while back uh Christopher Sabella's High Crimes he did the art on. Yes. Which we liked. The only problem I had with the with the artwork in this, in a couple of the classroom scenes, it really looked like he just drew the same kid over and over and over again in the background. Yeah. That's, that's the I only think, thing that sort of pulled me out of it. I think it's also supposed to give us, the reader, the sense that both Cain and Abel feel everybody else in that room doesn't exist for them. They may as well be the same kid over and over again. That's true. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. All right, I'll give him a pass. All right. Feeling charitable. <laughs> so I've had some beers. There you go. It's the only way I should do this show. There you go. All right. So anything else or should we wrap it I up? I think we should wrap it up. Okay. Don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. Our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We're on Tumblr, kinda. <laughs> crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes if that's how you like to get your podcasts. You can subscribe to us there. You can also, if you have a moment, give us a rating, give us a review. It helps new people find the show. Uh, we are on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn Radio. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I think you got everything. I think that's everything. I always ask because <laughs> it always feels like we should be in more places, but so damn lazy. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 144 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Seriously, Google it. Serial killers are weird, man. Okay. Okay. <laughs>